Coming up on this bonus episode of the podcast, we look at the rules of Pesapalo, how to bat, how to advance around the bases, how to field, and all the equipment that you need. That's coming up on the Super Pesis Roundup podcast. Hello and welcome to a special bonus uh, episode of the Superpesis Roundup podcast. I'm your host Ian Albert and joining me is uh, Miko Pirhonen. Um, Miko, how's it going? You alright? Yeah, I'm good. Safe and, safe and healthy and hopefully everybody else is too. Fantastic. Well, this show is a, is a, a special bonus episode um, looking really at the rules of the game, what you need to play... Um, there's a lot of uh, very short videos out there on the internet or bits and bobs you can find, um, but they don't really look at the, um, the the kind of nuances of the game or, oh, that's a bit like cricket or that's a bit like baseball or that's nothing like anything I've ever seen before. Um, so really this podcast is, is to help uh, people who are new to the game or trying to understand it a little better uh, to actually get that insight. So, um, first of all, Miko, I wanted to talk about the equipment. Um, it's a bat and ball sport, so you need a bat and you need a ball. Yeah. Um, but the bat looks like a, a baseball bat, but it, it's quite different, isn't it? It is. It is uh, a lot different. I mean, when <sighs> the bat that we use the most, it's made... Basically, the main element is carbon fiber, and it's like it's a highly highly developed uh, technological piece of equipment. To be honest, and a lot of like resources have come have been put into the development of the bat and uh, and the ball. It's also different. It's uh, it's a lot softer than, for example, uh, baseball especially but even even with the cricket ball but but the technology behind the ball of uh, making Pesapalo is like it has basically come from the same principles that you make the baseball and the cricket ball with and the technology in that is not uh, it's not the most advanced I would say compared to the bat at least the um the bat itself um I, I know you mentioned previously it's not the same size as like a, a standard american baseball bat it's it's much longer is that right it is a bit longer yeah or actually substantially longer uh the maximum is one meter for the length of the bat and that's that's what we what we use in the highest leagues of for men at least and uh, the women use the one meter bat also but uh, it's 
it's a little bit lighter and uh, the weight of the bat I'm talking in uh, kilograms now but it's uh, 600 grams more or less it's that is what the men are playing with and like even if you add or take out for example 20 grams it's a it's a huge difference and there's like uh, and there's also different kinds of flexibilities for the bat but it has to go through a certain kind of regulation process so that uh, like in any other sport that where where you had different flexibilities and different weights uh, different kinds of players can choose different kinds of equipment basically but the women's uh, bat is we're taking maybe 60 grams out of the bat which is doesn't sound like a lot but it is a huge difference in when, when we're talking about the light equipment and going back to the ball as well, um, when I've been watching uh, games, uh, you often see the the pitcher bouncing the ball. If <laughs> it's a, you're never going to see somebody bouncing a cricket ball or a baseball <laughs> yeah. like that. <laughs> so it's it's obviously got that little bit of extra spring to it. Because um, I, I always found that quite interesting as well. It is, and uh, in turn, it's it also changes the like the whole way the the game is being played for example because the ball bounces you can hit different kinds of hits where you can use it to your advantage for example and uh, and it's also quite light and it's like it doesn't but i would say that the most important factor of the ball nowadays is that it's uh durability even though the equipment is technologically advanced uh, like I mentioned in the previous podcast is that uh, the ball actually is pretty much useless after a hundred hits or so maybe even less it can be sometimes 50 uh, hits and after that it loses those kind of things that you mentioned that but yeah okay that's that's the most important thing about the ball. So, other than the bat and the ball, there's the the glove, the the mitt um, that fielders use, um, and the helmet as well. We'll talk a little bit about the mitt first of all. Uh, it looks very similar to a baseball mitt. So, like you'd see somebody in say like the the infield or the outfield. Um, in cricket, there's no equivalent the fielders just use their bare hands to catch uh, the ball and in fact if they don't catch it in their hands it's it's not considered being caught um but the the, the mitt itself uh, do you have to catch it in the mitt for it uh, to be caught first of all as a rule uh either on the mitt or the glove or uh or with your bare hand that's also it is okay so you, you, you can, can catch, catch it with, it with your bare hand. Okay. Yeah. The rule is that it is determined to be a catch, uh, catch if the ball drops when you're about to throw it. If it drops in the middle of the throwing movement, after the throwing movement has begun, and then it's uh, ruled a catch. Okay. Um, 
so the glove, uh, it, it's a bit like the, the baseball glove. Uh, is that right? It is. Uh, it, without knowing the actual details of the history, I would say that that is where it has come from, uh, from the baseball. In, but it has changed substan- substantially throughout the years. I mean, when you hold the glove in your hand, it's uh, your whole hand, your wrist, and your hand is in a different position than when you, if you would put, uh, put a, a baseball glove on, and uh, like, okay, but it it is different, and uh, it offers way more uh, protection, and uh, the wrist part of your hand is supported a lot better than than with a baseball glove, and uh, but it's made of leather mostly and it has uh, it has a lot of similarities to a baseball glove that's true the final piece of equipment that i i mentioned uh, the one to really talk about is the helmet now it looks like nothing i've ever seen before you know you get um helmets in in cricket with like a, a face grill obviously the ball's being bowled at somebody in in baseball um, it's like a cap, but it's, it's got a protector on the side because the pitch is coming in from the side, for example. Um, but in Pasapalo, it it looks like nothing I've ever seen before. Yes, yeah, it's, it's quite light for for starters. It, it's made of plastic, and uh, it's it's quite light to wear. But it's also been designed in a way that it can absorb the hits that come like that's the basic idea of the helmet anyway but uh, but the whole prospect of having to wear the helmet comes from the basic thing that a lot of times the runners are running uh, in in different directions and even though they should be aware where the ball is going uh, sometimes you just cannot help it that because the batter hits the ball basically every time if they want to, uh, the the hits can go anywhere on the field, and uh, the the ball can come either either from a bat or, for example, from a throw, when and hit the hit the runner on the head, and that's why the whole introduction of the helmets to the game came in the nineteen eighties, and uh, before that they were not in use largely but it came mandatory to use one when you're batting or running uh, quickly after that and uh, it spread throughout the game and nowadays it's um, like uh, nobody even thinks about it anymore yeah and, and i think that's that's really a key difference between say cricket or baseball because a helmet is worn there to protect from a ball coming in from the pitch or the or the ball being bowled Whereas that's not the issue here. It, it's when you're in the field of play. So when you're you're actually on the base or when you're running around the base, like you say, the ball could come in from the hitter. You're, you're running right across the field of play or from the fielder throwing it back uh, anywhere else in the field. So it's, it's quite an interesting difference. Moving on to um, the field itself then, we've we just talked about the, uh, the bases. Um, there are three bases on the field, and then 
back to, to home. So that's sort of similar to, to what you see in baseball, but they're not laid out in the same way as they are in baseball, are they? No, they're not. Uh, the a brief introduction to how it was developed was that, uh, like I mentioned in the previous episode, that the creator of the game, uh, Taco Bicala, went to USA to watch a lot of baseball games in the uh, in the early 20th century. And uh, he came back with some ideas and he developed the game that had strong influences from bat and ball sports from uh, surrounding countries such as Sweden, Russia, Germany. But uh, the first, for example, the first prospect of uh, how he wanted the game to be played was that was just to have one base that was in the direction of the baseball first base. And after that, he wanted to make the game more dynamic. And then he tried it with two bases, but it wasn't dynamic enough. They were not, you know, there was not enough action for his liking anyway. And uh, so he, he came up with the idea of having the zigzag, like, uh, the first base being in the same direction as the third base and the runner is going like you said in different directions and after that he was really pleased that okay this is a dynamic game that this offers all kinds of uh, variables that like bring color to the game all the time and uh, well hard to argue against that uh, absolutely and, and, and as an outsider watching when you first see people running around the bases, you think it's pandemonium. It, it, it's really exciting to watch. There's just lots of things going on. And it's it's actually quite easy to get to first base because it's a lot closer uh, than, say, first is to second and second to third and third to home. Uh, and again, that that's designed to make tactical play all the more uh, important to the game. How how close is first base first of all to to home? It is uh, for for uh, for starters, the men's field is different size than to the field that women use or or even the some juniors uh, use in, uh, like boys use the same pitch as women do. Uh, up until the age of 14 or so and after that they they go to the larger pit but uh, for men it's 20 meters so roughly 60 feet and that's like and the and the women's base is uh, two or two and a half meters closer so it's a really short distance and when you take into the equation the fact that the batter like i mentioned before the the batter hits the ball anytime they want to Basically, the best runners, uh, they reach the first base around 70, 80% of the time because they have three strikes uh, and they don't have to run uh, every time they hit the ball. So getting the runner to first base is usually, it can be a problem, but most of the time uh, we're not talking about a big problem in the game. Uh, but the like the biggest problem and the hardest part of the game is to get the runner from the first base to second because uh, it will there's many reasons for that but but the the distance from 
first base to second base, uh, it's double compared compared to what it is from uh, home base to first base. So it is a uh, it is a big influence in the tactical part of the game. And you mentioned a little bit before this um, this foul lines either side. Um, so if the ball goes outside of that area without touching the ground it, it doesn't count as a, a fair hit that somebody can advance around the bases on does it that's exactly true and uh and the main one main difference uh is also that if your third strike is a foul ball you're out the batter is out and uh and the runners are they they are brought uh, back to the base where they started from so that's uh, that's a key difference also that the third strike if it's a foul you don't get a new hit you don't get a new try you you're out yeah because uh, in baseball for example if if a batter just wants to tire a pitcher out for example they can purposefully foul off the ball to bring up the pitcher's strike you know bring up the pitcher's pitch count um Especially if there's a like a, a late inning pitcher or a leaf pitcher or, or a, a close or something like that, you can really work that that count to your advantage. But that's completely different here. Before we uh, take a break, I just want to talk a little bit about the people involved. So, how many players are there on a team? In the batting team, there's twelve people. Uh, nine people who also play in the outfield that have been numbered from one to nine, and they bat in that order. Uh, the batting team also has three chokers that you can use in any situation uh, during your inning. You can use all three chokers, at least for now, and uh, in, in every inning. And they don't take anybody's place uh, in the batting order or in the batting lineup. Uh, so basically you have different ro- roles there and uh, in the on the outfield you have nine players okay and alongside those uh, players there's uh, a manager or game manager uh, in fact I think you're allowed up to two is that right yes you're allowed and that's what basically every team is using like and the role of the manager or the head coach uh, in the game it's enormous whether or not uh, we as coaches want it or not but because you're using the signal fan that we mentioned in the previous podcast but you're you're giving all the signals and you're uh or not all of them but a lot of them you are a part of the decision making process all the time and uh because there's the signal can change, and it often changes uh, from in, in between strikes. So you have to be able to read the game, and uh, essentially it is about uh, anticipation and the way, like like in any other sport, any good coach they have a they have a game plan. They have the idea of how they want the game to be played. But in Pesapalo, you are taking part of the process a lot more than uh, even in baseball. But especially, for example, from the games that I watch uh, closely, it's a lot 
closer to American football than the European version. That you're you're almost a play caller, like you have in the like American football. That's that's not far from it. Like you are an essential part of the game, uh, and that's also a, an interesting dynamic. Well, I, I watched one of the videos um, that that you put out on on your YouTube channel uh, about the the signal fan, um, and after having watched that, I, I went back and, and looked at some of the uh, games from last year, and I was watching the manager really really closely with the fan. I was thinking, ah, yeah, I can I can see where they're holding it high, they're holding it low, they're sort of holding it close to them, pointing away, and all these things. And I, I'd never really paid that much attention before. But it's really, really interesting dynamic to the game, and it's something we'll definitely cover in a lot more detail uh, in a, a different podcast another time. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I think that's going to wrap it up for the first break. Uh, join us after the uh, break, and we'll talk about the offensive inning, so batting and moving around the bases. Okay, and uh, welcome back. Um, we're going to talk about uh, batting and advancing around the bases. Um, but before we do, I, I, I mentioned inning. <laughs> should probably explain. It's more akin to like a, a baseball inning than it is a cricket inning where everybody has one chance at a bat. In Pesapalo, it, it's a game of, of two periods or yakso. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It is, and that's been uh, that rule has been in place for almost thirty years now. In a part, it has also changed the game dramatically from like from what it used to be before that. And so it was like in baseball that you played nine innings and uh, you just counted the runs, then and the one who had the most was the winner but now it's like it's like tennis or volleyball that you have periods and uh, and each period starts from zero and that obviously changes the dynamics uh, hugely but uh, yeah the, the whole principle of inning is uh, basically it's it is the same as in baseball that after three outs uh, you change the team that is batting and uh, the betting team goes to outfield and uh, the next time the same team comes to bat they start from uh, where the third uh, out came from like for example if the number four is hitting is betting and then the, and then there's out number three uh, either a number four or number five starts the betting in the next inning uh, depending on which strike uh, the, the batter was on. If it was the first strike or second strike, then uh, and, the run, and the batter doesn't run to first base, then they start the next also the next inning. But anyway, the idea is that you have to follow the order uh, of the batters. And uh, it is also a tactical element of the game that you don't... Uh, you don't only think about as a coach. You don't only think about the inning that you're playing, but you're. Uh, I would say that 
almost as important as the inning that you're playing right now uh, is that if you have any innings left, it plays a huge role that you get the third out where you want. So, so you can choose more freely than uh, in baseball, for example. That's that's for sure, and it's uh, hugely important to get all batters in your use in every inning. So you want. Uh, for example, if a hard hitter starts your inning, you're gonna be in trouble if you don't get anybody uh, running be- before that hard hitter. So it's a it's a big tactical element and uh, plays a major part in like in a, in a single game. You've uh, you've mentioned a little bit about the different styles or the different types of of batting or or batters. Um, when I've been watching the game you see people take on more specialist roles for example the the first person to bat is usually the quickest they're usually the best at, at getting on um on base to to first base and then being able to work around the bases as uh, as quickly as they can um but there's there's also different types of of hit that that uh, people use you you mentioned a bouncing hit i've i've seen that to great effect um uh, Patty Owen, Urheliat, uh used yeah. it, um, and, and hard hitters. So uh, would you say there there are many different batting roles? Are, are there any specific kind of labels that people usually attach to them, for uh, example? Uh, definitely. That's that's for sure. Uh, like you mentioned, there's uh, you, you can have the fast runners, that, but if, if you're... Well, yeah, you can have the fast, fast runner that whose main goal is just to get to first base, but they have to also be uh, able to read the game as runners. You don't, it's not enough to be just a fast runner. It's like, it's, it's a lot more tactical. Uh, the, even the running is a lot more tactical than, for example, in baseball. And because you don't have like designated runners and you, you cannot change the run, runner in the first base or anything like that. Uh, it's uh, it's a tactical role, even though you have to have those quick feet that take you forward. But, and then there's uh, people who are, who are specialized in taking uh, the runner from, for example, from first base to second or from second base to third. Uh, that is just as a quick anecdote that uh, in the men's game, you hardly ever have a choker that would be specialized in bringing the runner from second base to third because that is like with with the role of getting from home base to first base, those are the two easiest uh, tasks that you can have as the batting team. But in, in, in women's game, you sometimes have chokers that, who are specialized in that, like bringing the better, um, sort of the runner from second base to third base. But in both men and women, you have uh, people, the hard hitters, like you mentioned, that who are specialized in uh, bringing the runner from third base to home base. And uh, yes, you can hit the ball. Basically, you can hit the ball between the outfielders but because the field is is pretty narrow and uh, 
unlike in baseball, uh, the foul line goes straight from second and third base uh, towards the outfield, the rest of the outfield, and the, the it doesn't get any wider than that. It's uh, it stays the same. That uh, in part creates the situation where uh, the room of hitting the ball between the players is is so tight it's so narrow the gaps are so narrow that you have to use uh, like for example a bit of a like curveball above the first uh, outfielders but you can get it reached ground before it goes to the outfield and uh, but this you can come up with those kind of hits because uh, you have the vertical pitch well um it's interesting you're talking about getting it over the first uh, rank of the, the fielders, and we'll talk about the fielding positions a bit later. Um, it, this was something that um, Pertu um, Hautala was talking about on on his blog um, not that long ago, the different kind of fielding shift patterns and stuff, and, and that that really important hit, being able to then bring the runner back in from third, because as you say, it's a it's a really narrow window that you you can play with in terms of getting a fair hit. In terms of the uh, jokers, then you mentioned that there's there's three. Uh, do you often see them taking on different roles um, rather than just being a shove them in and they'll do whatever? Well, I think that basically every team nowadays, if we're talking about competitive levels of the game, uh, they have one person whose job is to be the runner uh, and uh, one one hard hitter. And then the third one is normally it comes from, well, basically from the needs of the team. That's the, That should be one of the main factors that if you have, for example, if you have a lot more runners than hitters, it's a natural choice to have two hard hitters as chokers. Uh, for example, that if you come up, uh, if you end up having runners in a scoring position, uh, you can have you can have two hard hitters who are like specialized in bringing those uh, players home. And uh, but it depends on the team. Sometimes you just end up having quality players that fit the roles as jokers extremely well so that you have two runners and one hitter. But that's those are the two main options uh, that we mostly use, that either two runners and one hitter or one runner and two, two hitters. One of the things we talked about before was strikes. Now, again, this is something that, that's very familiar to people who uh, play baseball not so familiar to people who play cricket um but being able to hit the ball but not run is very familiar to people who play cricket but not play baseball because uh, if you hit it and it's a fair ball you've got to run um so what counts as a strike and and you mentioned that you have three strikes well the definition of a strike shortly put uh I try to remember the rules now that I'm talking through it. But the, well, basically, if the uh, like this is from also from baseball, the that if you know the game, this is also you're familiar with the rule that uh, if the bat crosses a certain line, the line of the ball uh, from 
like if you're watching from the side you can say that the movement the batting movement has progressed enough in order for it to be de determined a uh, strike then it doesn't matter if you actually hit the ball or not for and for example also in Pesapalo the the rest of the inning team they are uh, they are behind you when you're batting and they are shouting if the, if the vertical pitch is not about to hit the plate so they are shouting that don't hit it like <laughs> yeah if you get a ball like like in baseball but you have yeah. you have helpers you have 11 other players and two coaches who are assisting you in that task or should be assisting you but sometimes it just mixes it up a lot more but but even though if somebody would shout that it's a ball like that uh, but if you're if your batting movement has progressed uh through like enough like i mentioned before if it has gone forward enough that it crosses the line of the ball watching from the side then it is determined ahead or if the ball like just like in baseball that if it's a fair pitch uh, and if nobody hits the ball if it strikes uh, it has to hit uh, the plate and uh, there are other factors that have to come into play uh, but for example shortly put uh, if the batter doesn't hit if they if if they don't even try to hit the ball and the pitch comes down and hits the plate there's a big possibility that is ruled the strike and you mentioned um ball or vara um so that's that's where the ball doesn't land on the plate because it's, it's very important to land on the plate for it to be a fair hit so if, if it's not going to land on it the batter can just leave it um, very much like if it's a ball in uh, in baseball, it's outside the strike zone. Um, uh, very similar to to baseball, if there are a certain number of, uh, of vara pitches, uh, the uh, batter can walk or, or, or runners can advance. But that part of the game is slightly different um, because a batter can advance just after one vara if there's nobody on base. Is that right? Exactly, and that's uh, that's a made that's a major difference. And uh, just like you said, the batter will advance. They don't have to, but they they can advance to first base if they even when it's just one batter. But after you have runners uh, on bases, uh, doesn't matter if it's one runner or multiple runners uh, or doesn't matter what base they are on it, it takes two vara takes two balls to for the most advanced runner to get uh, a walk to the uh, next base only the most advanced runner gets the walk it, it plays a major part because it's quite easy to also to hit the plate uh, so the pitcher should be able to also use the vara to their advantage and that is also something that might not come into play in different bat and ball sports because the rules of Pesapalop they allow that to happen but we will go that in the future episodes one other thing that's 
quite different. It, it's it's a unique thing to Paspalo is the Kunio uh, Yorkso. So the uh, the idea of a a home run, but it's it, I mean it, it kind of equates to a home run, but it is different to the home run that you'd see, for example, in baseball. That's where the the hit is able to advance um, lawfully through first, second, and then third base. Is that right? That is exactly how it is, and uh, it's more like in baseball. You occasionally you have the is it called an infield home run, like it, in the, the in the park home run, yeah. yeah in yeah. the park in the park home run, sort of, yeah, in the park home run. But you don't get a lot, a lot of those. But it, it's like a. In in Pesapalo, it's uh, sometimes you are in a rush, uh, but sometimes you can hit the ball so that it has to once again it has to touch the ground before uh, going out of bounds. But if it does that, uh, then depending on the surroundings of the field, that also play a major part in in the in the game sometimes. Uh, getting to third base is enough and uh, that has also been one of the things that have been introduced to the game uh, after the uh, invention of Pesapalo and the one one big difference is uh, that the batter when they reach the third base they can stay there and uh, they can try to bring the what we call a double run like uh, if they if they can advance to home base uh, with the with the different hitter that can be also counted as as a run so it's like a double advantage yeah and and it, it's one of the the real kind of oddity kind of things about the sport it's it's really exciting to watch um I'll give you an example uh, we talked in in the first podcast about uh, Vimpelli and um how their pitch is on an island, basically. That ball hits fair, runs off into the river. People are diving in after it. It, it gives people that extra time to run the bases and, and, and then stay at third for the chance, as you say, for that double run. So not only have uh, the fielding team conceded a run there, there's also now a threat for that player who's now on third. And... When I was um, when I was in the states a few years back, I went to go watch um, uh, Texas Rangers play in uh, Tampa, and um, it, it, it was a playoff game. Uh, Texas won the game just purely on home runs, and it was yeah, it, it was it was quite fun to watch them hit home runs. But in terms of excitement, it didn't compare to uh, the Tampa team who. Um, they managed to manufacture what in baseball they call you know small ball runs. It's, it's basically where you're hitting and running around the bases rather than going for the long ball, going for the home run. And that's that kind of frantic atmosphere that I see in uh, Pespalo games that is really exciting. And in fact, that's the only way that you score runs in Pespalo through that kind of really frantic running through the field. Um, well, that's... Yes... Sorry to interrupt that, but you're exactly right that running plays a huge role in Pesapalo. Like uh, up until the point that if you don't have the necessary amount of like ability of running, let's just put it that way, uh, you're not 
that much useful nowadays as uh, as a member of the batting team. They don't have a lot of people. You have to be super efficient batter in order to be in the lineup without any uh, skills uh, regarding running. That is that plays a major part, but we we will also go into that later. But but yes, it's uh, in baseball that's like everything comes from the threat of that the speed of the runner creates and it's like everything has been measured that how long does it take uh, for the runner to reach the next base and what kind of a hit is enough uh, for that to happen and how much time and in like if you if we reverse that uh, uh, the basic thing when we're talking about the positioning on the outfield, one of the key factors, one of the major factors, uh, actually one of, the, one of the determining factors is that you have the same time window that you know how much time you have for a certain kind of head uh, in order to make it out to the next base. And uh, so it starts with running basically the whole thinking of the game that with the players positioning that they know that how much time they have and sometimes you just have to like if even if you make a 100 percent uh performance uh, on the outfield for example sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say that okay the runner won this that they sometimes for example they can uh, for tactical reasons or purely phys physiological reasons uh the, the runner just advances to the next base uh, quicker than was anticipated and then they have to adjust to that but uh, but it's, it's it plays a major role and also the di different kinds of fields like we were talking about the surroundings and you mentioned Bimbley and it's like I've, I've been in the river more times than I would have ever wanted to be but it's like uh, it just creates uh, let's say that after the years it just creates fun memories but it's not when you when you go when you go in there and you forget your spare shoes to to home and you have to go to the river in the first inning it's not fun then <laughs> one of the um things that we touched on in the first podcast was the idea of a catch uh, i wanted to talk a little bit more about that in terms of the rules we mentioned before uh, that an inning consists of, of three outs for the batting team, three outs, and then they have to swap over and the fielding team then takes their place at bat. Being caught doesn't mean that the batter or any of the runners are out for the purposes of one of those three outs, does it? No, it doesn't. Yeah. And, uh, well, once again, when the game was in its development phase, uh, the the father of the game, Laura Birkala, he uh, he just realized really quickly that if we play with these rules, if we play with the vertical pitch, and uh, if we play with this kind of outfield, you have to make the rule of the catch a little less damaging for the batting team. Uh, otherwise, the innings would be like five minutes long. Uh, in in maximum as a maximum, but it's like uh, he came up with the term wounded, and uh, 
was shortly put. Uh, like I mentioned in the previous episode, that this is something that I, for example, I remember uh, from the end of last year uh, when I went to coach the Bangladesh national teams that who were uh, basically policemen and policewomen who were playing softball and baseball uh, as their other sports and also cricket that is uh, obviously enormous in those regions uh, I tried to when we and when it was a rainy day they they gave me a classroom and uh, like uh, paper and a pen and uh, the possibility of explaining some tactical things that those players didn't yet get uh, as like 100%. So the whole concept of a catch, it really opened up to me when I started to, like when I was in a classroom where nobody else knew what it meant to be wounded or what it meant, what the definition of a catch and how the game game would progress after that and what it meant for the runners. And when I tried to open that up, I, I, I literally ended up uh, having a two-hour lecture for the, for those national teams about just we were talking about having a copy or a catch like in different scenarios and how it does affect the game and so on but as a as a main rule the definition of a catch is that you can uh, you can hold the ball either in your glove or with your hand, with your bare hand, like in cricket, uh, long enough so that you, when you start the throwing, throwing motion, if you have already started the motion, and if the ball drops, then, then it's uh, the catch has already been made. That if you drop the ball when you're throwing, uh, then it's then it is a catch. But what it does to the game is that, like I mentioned in the previous episode, that at the moment of the catch, when the outfielder gets the ball uh, straight from the air, all of the runners and the batter, they have to be on some base or they are not safe. They, they cannot just come back after that. And that is, that is a major difference also. Like... Uh, if you bat the ball, you don't. Even if your instinct is telling you to run, if you have been playing, uh, like once again baseball before, uh, your instinct might tell you to run or at least leave home base. But that is the furthest. Thing, that is the last thing you need to do. Like in baseball, if they are, especially if there's a runner on first base, that's like you have to really read the situation that is it a wise choice in this scenario or not and like i mentioned it's like it would be easily a two-hour episode if we would talk about the different scenarios where that could happen on which base you have runners is it the first strike second strike or third strike that's like those are hugely different scenarios and i like i mentioned i just really realized it when i was like in that kind of situation uh, trying to explain it but it's we will go into that later on 
of course. Uh, I mean, the the rule it's, itself, uh, and, and you mentioned it there, really, um, is basically if a runner or the batter who's committed now as a runner is not safe, they're not in the field of play of a base, they're not safe on their base, and the ball is caught, they're removed from the field of play, but they don't necessarily count as an out. Now, it, it took me a really long time to understand what was going on there because the players still have to keep running to the base that they're going to because they could still be out. Is that right? They can. If, if, if the outfield team is able to throw the ball into the base where the runner is going after they are not safe. Like for example, if you're uh, if you're a second base runner and you're like a couple of steps away from the base and uh, you don't get back to the base before somebody uh, catches the ball, uh, your only option is to advance the third base. If you can advance the third base before the outfield team is able to bring the ball there, throw the ball there, and somebody is holding it like having possession of the ball at the third base. Uh, if they are able to do that, you are out as a runner. But if they are not able to do that, if you reach, if the runner reaches third base before the ball is in somebody's possession in that base, uh, then they are just wounded and taken out of play. But it's like there's no out. And that is, that is a major difference. Okay, well, like you say, we'll we'll really dive into some of those tactics and things in, in little tidbits in, in future episodes. Um, but I think that just generally covers the batting side of it for now. So we'll take another short break um, before we come back and talk about the uh, fielding, the other side of the inning. Okay, and welcome back. Uh, so before the break, we were talking about batting. We're now going to be talking about fielding. Now, uh, Miko, you mentioned before that there are nine players in a defensive team. There are nine positions. Um, there's obviously uh, the pitcher, the uh, Lucari, yeah? Yeah. And uh, we'll talk about that specific role uh, in a moment, but... Could you talk us through some of the other fielding positions that there are? Well, there's yes, there's yeah, uh, there's uh, eight outfield players, and uh, they are depending on the situation, depending on this once again, the scenario of which base, which basis you have the runner. Uh, they are standing in different places, and uh, from a coach coach's point of view, it is like I said before that. It is all about the time window that you have in your disposal, that how much, uh, where where you can stand on the field. But but basically, long story short, some players are closer to home base and they are they have to catch the hard hits and they they have to have really good reactions and uh, balance and ability to throw the ball fast. It doesn't like you don't necessarily have the time. Uh, in most cases, to get into a perfect position to create a 
your hardest throw. So, but you have to get rid of the ball fast in the general direction of the base where you're about to throw the ball. You know, sometimes you see that in like also in baseball, for example, that the runner is going to first first base and the outfielders come all kinds of acrobatics before they are able to release the ball. And that's how uh, people playing close to home base, they have to have that kind of skills. And uh, then there are players who are mostly, they are somewhere on the second and third base line. That is one determining factor uh, of the of the outfield, but they have different roles too. But uh, those are those are players who have to also nowadays they have to have a high level of athleticism and uh, also the ability of getting the uh, ball fast out of their hands. But they also have to have the throwing arm to throw it quite hard now the distances go they go uh, a little bit longer than in the first cases that i mentioned and then you have two outfielders and that's like you have yes you have to have uh, a good throwing arm that's that's usually like I, i say usually not all the time but usually that's a determining factor but But you have to be able to make, uh, I would say that that is a position that is close to being a defender in, like, from a, uh, in football, for example. Like, from a personal point of view, I was, I was playing there as a coppare on, on outfield. And uh, for me, it was more like, okay, sometimes you had to make uh, big plays that, for example, you had to throw the ball almost 100 meters to the home base before the runner gets there. But that also only happens occasionally. And nowadays, especially the the role of throwing arm as an outfielder, has it has actually reduced a little bit. It's more about reading the game and making the right call because uh, as, an, as an outfielder, if you don't catch the ball, there's nobody behind you. And uh, like in the worst case, uh, we're talking about four runs because there's there's nobody, there's no wall behind you or anything. And in, in most cases, there's nobody that would be able to get behind you like the other outfielder usually tries to. So sometimes you have to, in a split of a second, you have to come up with the correct decision that are you going for the ball Uh, with high risk, for example, or do you just accept uh, that, okay, this is going to be one run, uh, for example, but I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to let the ball go past me. Then that's, uh, well, there's a lot of those kind of things in every role. The the kind of nuance you're talking about there is, is quite similar to some of the fielding tactics that I am used to in cricket. My, my dad's a bit Uh, cricket player he, uh, he travels all around the world in his with his over 60s playing playing cricket now uh, and I used to play uh, when I was a lot younger as well and sometimes you set your fielders in such a way that you're trying to stop 
a single run or, or those quick runs and sometimes you're trying to put your fielders on the boundary to stop them scoring the big runs and yes you're going to give up a run or two but at least you're going to stop them getting the boundaries uh, and racking up the score uh, and the nuances you're talking about there uh, seem to, to translate um, because like you say yes sometimes okay you'll give up a run but that's more important than potentially giving up the four runs um, and then leaving that runner, or better than turned runner, on third base for the potential of another run as well. Exactly. That's, uh, that plays a major part in creating the tactics for any level team, but especially in the highest levels. Because when you know that the basics of your outbuilding are good enough that you can handle the situation where you, where the other team has runners in scoring position. You don't want that, uh, obviously, but you can handle that. If you're good in those kind of situations, if you can uh, create your defense strong enough to be able to handle that, uh, you can, so to say, you can live with that. But if... Uh, if the other team hits the ball to the side of the field, it is, uh, for example, the second or the third base uh, player. They are in a similar situation a lot of the time that what I was talking of, when I was talking about the outfielders, that there's nobody behind them, there's nobody able to get behind them, and they're well. The job number one is to get somebody part of the. Cl- or the glove uh, behind the ball so that it doesn't go past them. Because if it does, then all your basics, uh, you can can throw them in the bin. I mean, you can can throw them in the trash bin and there's like, you don't have anything left in your defense uh, if you cannot stop the balls, uh, for example, on the bases or, or on the outfield. And no, like, there's a significant amount of stress that comes uh, from that particular scenario because it's easy to direct your hit to the sides of the field towards one outfielder and there's basically no one else to who has the possibility of getting to the ball so the whole dynamics of the game are based on the fact that the uh, individual uh, level is high enough for the uh, for the outfield uh, to be able to stop the balls uh, on the sides of the field or on the outfield and after that you can come up with more highly tactical nuances of the game but uh, all of the outfield and their positioning is always it is related to the amount of threat that the runners pose on the bases and what the scoreboard says because if you're up uh, six to nothing and uh, if you know that your defense is good you can occasionally accept that they can get the runner to the next base a little bit easier and like you said stand a little bit more to the sides of the field and rather than to risk opening up some space on your defense and if the ball slips through Suddenly, it can be six one, six two. It can be even six four, like in in uh, five seconds. 
and that changes the, the dynamic of the game once again hugely and this is not this is not a big piece of information for anybody who's interested in baseball like you know that everything can change in a split of a second but uh, it's uh, especially important in Pesapala because every uh, in every scenario you always have the threat of a home run uh, quite highly like it is present all the time so you have to play against that uh, when I was uh, growing up and, and playing cricket, um, we were always told to back up a fielder. And by that, I mean, if somebody's feeling quite close, always stand some way behind them when the ball's coming, just in case the ball passes them to stop it going further for a boundary. Uh, in cricket, that would be four runs, for example. Um and and again, it's that kind of thing. Like you say, um, on second or third base, there isn't usually somebody there unless you've set your outfield in a very odd way, <laughs> leaving big gaps here and there. You've got to, to have that kind of flexibility as outfielders uh, to try and cover that space if the ball does go past uh, to try and stop those runs. Um, one other thing... Um, that I wanted to talk about in terms of fielding uh, was fielding positions. Now, in baseball, yeah, there are defensive shifts. So you do see outfielders kind of slightly closer or slightly to the left or to the right of where their positions would be. But in Pesapalo, it, it's it's very different. You can have, um, and I'll use an example, if you've got a runner on first, I've seen two or three fielders close to first base expecting the ball to come their way so they can throw it to second base because that that's where they think quite quite rightly the runners can have the most time to get to second base the fielding positions look very very flexible uh, and I think that's something you touched on before and it does remind me of, of fielding in in cricket you know there's there's a whole host of of names in in cricket for different fielding positions. Most of them sound really weird to to people who don't know the game, like cow corner, silly point, mid on, you know, all really bizarre things. But if if you put that kind of brain, like a cricket fielding brain, in, and go, okay, well, it's not about holding a position on the field. It's about fulfilling a role on the field what role are you trying to cover? Uh, and that that's what I really found interesting because that, that really struck a chord with me, with my background with cricket, but also my knowledge of baseball. I was like, oh, well, it's actually quite a lot like how how you field in cricket. You know, you're plugging a gap, you're filling a, a role rather than a position. Um, so that's the that's the fielding positions. I've singled out the, the pitcher because that's a very different role to, to those in the outfield, isn't it? It is, and it's uh, well, it's hard to put into any figure, like percentage, that how how big of a role of the whole outfield uh, the pitcher plays. Uh, but yes, uh, just like we mentioned before, that also like in baseball, 
pesapallo also is a duel between uh, the batter and the uh, and the pitcher, but it's uh, it's in different way because uh, the pitcher also only has so many options to use. They they have a lot, but like I mentioned bef uh, many times before, that because the the batter is able to hit the ball most of the time anyway when they want to. All you can do is you can reduce the possibilities by placing the your pitch somewhere on the plate, just like you place it somewhere on the uh, also in baseball. But it's the the role of the pitcher is uh, well, they are playing more as um, like the orchestrator of the whole whole outfield. Also in Pesapala, the the people who are playing as Lukari, as the pitcher, they have different qualities. And that determines a lot what kind of game the team can actually successfully play. And it's logical, really. But it's like it, the, the whole building of the games has to start from the home base. That if you if you don't have a good pitcher, it's the it is logical that you cannot be a successful team. But some 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 are uh, better athletes than others. Some have some just have the uh, anticipating skills. They are reading the game so well that they can live with that. And you have to have that skill. Um, and you have to have the athleticism nowadays too because the players are uh, top athletes. But uh, the role of the pitcher is, uh, well, you, you cannot overestimate it, but nowadays I would say that the, one of the main things that the pitcher has to have is to be able to understand the strengths and the weaknesses and the rhythm of your outfield. And the rhythm is something that comes into play quite significantly nowadays because of, of the changing uh, outfield patterns and that is something the way you have to you have to be like once again i'm going back to a football example uh, quickly but it's like uh, it's like playing on the as a midfielder uh, on the in the center of the park or just be uh, just behind the midfield and orchestrating the run of play and being able to understand where the ball is coming from where the opponents are and when when it's time to uh, bring some like press from the other team and then like get rid of the ball that those are the same kind of qualities that you need as a pitcher so you need to be understand you need to recognize the situation you need to make the right call in the split of the second that's that's way more important than just hitting the like uh just hitting the plate with the ball which is obviously <laughs> the way where it all starts from but those are the kind of skills that you need nowadays a lot absolutely and my dad is a, a wicket keeper and he's lifelong wicket keeper and one of the things I I really noticed, and and you you've touched on it there, is the kind of marshalling of the outfield, the the kind of reading of the of the game. The pitcher has 
a unique viewpoint of the outfield yeah. because they're in the same spot as the batter, very much like you would yes. as a wicketkeeper in, in cricket uh, or a catcher in baseball as well. In terms of using the cricket analogy, the, the, the wicketkeeper obviously has a great deal of say with the captain of the team as to where the fielding position should be. Crickets are much more leisurely pace usually but one of the other things you mentioned was the rhythm of the game the tempo and Pespolo is is so fast moving there's no kind of delays in the game like you get in say baseball or cricket it it really is you know somebody's moved on right okay the pitch is going yeah. up already you know if the batter's not there it's just too bad um it's that kind of tempo it's really important, like you say, for the for the pitcher to to manage that so that they can marshal their field correctly. They can uh, maybe sometimes put the batting team out of out of order, disrupt their rhythm, and uh, it's quite an interesting role because it does take a lot of different elements from various different sports that I see. But from a, a, a defensive point, a wicketkeeper from cricket really kind of really really struck with me. I have to agree 100% there because uh, the mention of the rhythm is the key key thing here because uh, the thing is that the defending team determines the rhythm of the game and just like you said unlike in many other bat and ball sports uh, you cannot as, as the batting team uh, you don't have delays you cannot just call time or anything like that it's like you just if unless you're injured as a runner you're you're not entitled to call out even if your shoelaces are open or something like that even that doesn't call out that that doesn't count as a like a reason to call call time or anything like that so that the defending team they can they can determine the outfield team. They can determine the tempo of the game. They can dictate that, and they can also they can obviously they can use it to their advantage in in many situations. For example, if you want the runners, uh, if they have been running a lot, it obviously reduces their uh, capacity uh, as a runner. So you want to get them running uh, fast again. So, so you need to bring the ball fast to the home base and get the ball up in the air and like play play the game fast. But then again, if the batting team gets some like good hits, successful hits, something like that, they get their groove, they, they find their groove, they get their game going, you have to disrupt the rhythm. You have to break the rhythm and you have to come up with something. You, you you need to slow down the game or you need to do something different or something like that. So that's that plays a major role. And just like you said that um, in Pesapalo, the pitcher is in a situation where just like a wicketkeeper or, or the catcher, they can see the field. Uh, 100% because the outfield formation changed uh, often a lot of the time because for example the head coach head coach is standing on the side of the field so you cannot cha- you can you cannot see all the formations of the outfield and the gaps between the players that are there are they in the position where they're supposed to be but 
but the pitcher can. And so they are in a crucial role that if somebody is positioned uh, wrong on the outfield, they are the only one who can actually see that. So they they carry a lot of resp responsibility uh, from uh, other things than just pitching, basically. Now, the technical aspect of, of pitching you touched on it before it's it's a vertical pitch as we've we've said previously and it's got to then come down and land on the plate for it to be a a fair pitch um how high does it have to go okay let's go to that first one meter uh, above the head of the pitcher that is one of the requirements that it takes for it to be a legal a fair pitch uh, in chronological order and uh, I, I hope that there's no umpires listening to this I try to be the like the brain of the coach that I try to come up with the right things but the, the key elements of the, what it makes to be a fair um, a fair pitch a good pitch is that between each batter the pitcher has to throw the ball into some base other than the home base. So the ball has to go to first, second or third base between every batter. And that is that is something that helps a little bit uh, for the batting team so that they cannot just hold the tempo high all the time. So they have at least they have to make the throw in between. But uh, OK, after that, when the when you have what we call permission to pitch, so you can so you throw the ball somewhere and get it back to home base after that uh, the pitcher has to hold the ball between the two hands uh, even though the other one uh, other hand has the glove but the ball has to stop for a visible like a recognizable amount of time between the two hands and it has to be visible to the umpire on the home base and that is something that it is also in the requirements. And then the hands have to go apart. Uh, the rule nowadays is 15 centimeters, so like five, six inches maybe. Uh, they have to be at least that much apart uh, before the pitching motion upward is starting. And when, when the ball goes up in the air, one meter above the head is the minimum requirement. Uh, when it comes down, it has to, well, it has to hit the plate if nobody's betting. That is something that it, it can never be, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just like in baseball that if the batter actually tries to hit the ball, then it can never be a ball. So it's always a strike. So it's always a strike if somebody is trying to hit the ball. Yes. And this was yeah. also something right. that uh, was not, that clear for example when i was coaching in asia that the players were kind of confused that if somebody is shouting that it's a ball and somebody's trying to hit it and they don't hit the ball and the ball doesn't hit the plate so they were asking me that is it a ball or is it a strike and i said that okay if you try to hit it it can never be a ball it's always <laughs> a strike and the, and then there's one just for the safety reasons the yeah. The pitcher has to go at least two steps away from the plate uh, after pitching because uh, 
you don't know what kind of hit the, the batter is trying to hit and because we don't want the bat to hit the pitcher they have to go back a couple of steps so those are the basic requirements just going back a little bit there you, you talked about if you swing it, it can't be a ball we, we talked about that being uh, similar to um, in baseball so if, if the bat crosses the, the, the yeah. plane I assume it's the same in Pesapala yeah. it's, it's, it's got to be a, a, a swing that crosses that, that plane um, in cricket if, if you're swinging um, at a wide certainly at, at the lower league levels they don't class it as a wide they say oh well you could you could have hit that um, so it, it's, it's kind of a, it's something similar to that you mentioned as well that it's got to go at least one meter. One of the things that uh, some pitchers use is, is quite high pitches, again, sometimes to throw a, a batter off their rhythm. Is that right? That is one of the key weapons that you can have as a pitcher, that if you control the pitch, if you control it high and the uh, accuracy of the pitch is high enough and so that you can hit the hit the plate most of the time that is a very useful like like you said in disrupting the rhythm of the batter because we normally takes three steps um, before batting so that in turn creates some energy uh, that we then use in while we're batting and if you can disrupt the rhythm of those steps it can be a big advantage to the outfield and it also is one thing is that it makes hitting the ball in the exact spot that you want to uh, like in terms of the, the time window of hitting the ball in the in the best possible way it reduces once again significantly because it's like basic laws of the physics that if you if you throw it high enough the velocity of the ball is higher when it comes down so it, it becomes harder to hit the ball and that's when sometimes especially in the men's game uh, the runners usually they hit the ball so that the bat is in a vertical uh, position rather than being in, in a horizontal position and that is because um, the uh, well basically you create more time for yourself you the, the time window once once again it increases then put, putting the bat in a vertical position also creates the possibility that uh, a bad connection a bad contact to the ball can actually it can be actually a good thing for you because you might not know where the ball is going but then again, if you don't know where the ball is going, the outfield definitely doesn't know where it's going. But And it doesn't happen if the ball is in a horizontal position. But those are nuances. But yeah, high pitches, for those reasons, it's a very good weapon to use. Well, I think that pretty much covers a general overview of the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to uh, thank, uh, as ever, uh, my co-host uh, Mikko Pirhonen thank you very much uh, for talking us through the game thank you yeah
And uh, I think that's going to be it for this uh, bonus podcast. If anybody wants to uh, follow us, then we're on uh, at superpessisr on Twitter. And the uh, blog address is superpessisroundup.blogspot.com. Until next time, we'll see you soon. My pleasure, Ian. Hidden from